Good morning, Journey Church. Oh my goodness gracious. I feel like we're on a first date, you know, like we're all a little nervous, a little excited, but a little nervous too, you know, like what's going to happen? Anything going to happen? No, it's all good. I'm glad you're here today and I want to welcome uh, each of you out and welcome each of you who are online. We know we have many, many people online. We've got a great crowd here. Um, but if you are at home right now, that is perfectly all right, and uh, we're, we're glad you joined us. You know what I love about the Holy Spirit is that we don't all have to be in one place all the time for the Spirit to be with us and among us, and, uh, and He is here uh, with us today. I can certainly feel that. You know, it's so exciting uh, to be back and to have people here. It's a little uh, difficult to preach to empty seats uh, week after week, and it's hard to get excited about that, uh, but it's good to see each of you. And I want to tell you, you know, God's opened some neat doors. I don't know if you all, everybody knows, but I was diagnosed about a month ago with the virus. I was one of those asymptomatic people, evidently, uh, that didn't have many signs of that. It was a blessing from that, uh, very much so. But it's opened the doors. This time has been a great time for us to be able to reach out to other people. It's been a time for uh, new guests to join and become a part of our church family. And also, I got the chance yesterday through our Feed, the, the Feed Our Neighbor program uh, that we're participating in. Uh, to be able to pray with a lady that I've never met before, uh, able to deliver some food to her and pray with her. So there are tons of opportunities uh, that we have to look for, and we have to, uh, once we find them, uh, take advantage of them for God to do some good things through uh, even the hard times of life. So uh, welcome, welcome everybody to today, and I'm excited about the message. And, uh, you know, one of the things I, I was, uh, this week, I happened to look at my calendar and I don't know if you looked at your calendar lately, but I looked at mine and two things surprised me. Number one, it's June. It does not seem like June. It, we are almost halfway through 2020. I think we lost about half of the first half of the year. I'm feeling that way. It's like really weird. It's June, and uh, mid-June. The second thing I noticed about my calendar is there's not a lot on it. There's not a lot on my calendar to do. I, I, you know, I usually have, have a lot of things on there, but there's not a lot there because we've missed a lot of things. We missed a lot of events. Uh, we missed meetings. We had to go Zoom on those. We missed weddings, funerals, graduations, vacations were canceled or missed or changed around. Trips were postponed. Uh, very few things are scheduled because the future is unsure. We don't even know what it's going to be like. We fear that second wave or the, the uptick or whatever it, you might describe it as. And you know, I'm really hoping that this is temporary, but even in the best of situations, life is unpredictable. Life is unpredictable, and, and we just don't know what's going to happen next, right? I love the scripture in James chapter 4. James says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. We all make our plans like that, right? Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So let me ask you this. If your life is a mist that comes and goes unpredictably, what is going to happen whenever your mist vanishes and you die? What happens at that point in your life? I'm going to tell you this, that whenever that happens, you're going to move from this world into eternity. And if you are a Christian, you're going to go to heaven. That is the good news that we've been talking about. We began last week this series called Some Good News, kind of playing off the good news that people were trying to generate throughout this pandemic. But for Christians, we have great news. We're going to go to heaven. 
And you know, like any move that we might make here up on the earth, we want to know more about heaven. We want to know everything we can about our eternal home because we're just curious about what life will be like there. What is heaven going to be like overall? How are we going to get to heaven? How do we pack and prepare to go to heaven? What are we going to do when we get to heaven? What is daily life going to be like? What's, uh, uh, we, we want to know all these things to give us some peace. But we also want to know these things to get excited about going because I have a feeling that a lot of people are more excited about their life here and about what tomorrow might hold and, and you know, the exciting things down the road here than they are about heaven. And that isn't right. That's not how it should be. Heaven is so much greater than anything you'll ever experience here that we ought to have this incredible anticipation for heaven. For many of us, it seems like our present reality is all there is. We just hope things get better here, right? We talked about normal, whatever that was, and the new normal, which is scary to us. We don't know what that's going to look like. But you know what? We're not even, even if the new normal is better than the old normal, which we fear it won't be, it's still not going to be as good as heaven. The Bible says that we are not citizens of this world, that we are passing through on a journey through life. So how do we get ready for heaven? You know, I love that Jesus told us about that. In fact, there's probably much more in the Bible about heaven than you and I actually realize, and we've been kind of mining through that the last couple of weeks and continue to do that. But Jesus told us a lot about heaven, and, and he says this about heaven. He says in Matthew chapter 18, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What's life like? Who's the greatest there? And he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus said, in order for us to prepare for heaven, we have to have a childlike faith. A childlike faith. Be like a child, not be childish. Many of us got that down pretty well. But I'm talking about a childlike faith. And there's a couple elements of that, I think, that that a child has. First of all is trust. A child believes without questioning. If you tell your child something, they don't question everything all the time. When they get a little older and the teenage, that, that's when that starts. But when they're a child, they just trust you. They trust you without questioning. And then the second element of that, I think, is imagination. Children have great imaginations. You know, our kids, when they were little, especially our daughters, they would create, produce, act out what they called nation news. And uh, they were so cute. They would, one of them, our oldest usually, would be the, uh, the interviewer or the announcer, and she would then direct the other ones who were much younger, and they would interview and they would re- video record Nation News and then play it back for us. They had a ball. So today, uh, now, they're all married. And uh, so whenever their spouses come home, oftentimes we go down, pull out the big old clunky VHS tapes, and we play Nation News and laugh at our kids. They had such an amazing uh, imagination. They do the weather and all sorts of things. But you know what? Kids have great imaginations, but when they get older, that imagination begins to wane, doesn't it? Their imagination isn't so great as they are hit by the reality of life. And also, the trust that they had becomes more jaded in life. I think what Jesus is saying is that we need to trust Him. We need to simply believe what God says about heaven, and we need imagination to think beyond this world because our thoughts are so limited to what we see and experience around us that we got to open our mind and we got to listen to what God says and just imagine what heaven might be like. 
You know, our mission as a church is very simple, to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. That's why we changed our name to Journey Church, because we are on a journey. This is not, life here is not our destination. It is a process. It is a journey. And we call that, or we lay the path out in the process of beginning, which is where everyone starts, beginning to know about Jesus. Believing, which is when you cross the line of faith. Belonging is when you connect with God's people, belong to His family, and belong to Jesus. And then becoming, and it's in that becoming period that most of us who have been Christians for a while, we're growing and becoming what God wants us to be. It is a journey until one day we simply arrive in heaven. That's the process. That is our destination. That's where we're going. The journey is to get you home where you belong. Home where you and I belong, and that is heaven. And the journey, our part of that is to help guide you along that and to make sure that you're on the right track and that you keep moving, that you don't get stalled somewhere along the way and that you finish the journey strong. Everybody can start a trip with excitement and enthusiasm and many people begin their spiritual life in that way, but we want to encourage people to finish strong, to finish strong, to grow and be more excited about heaven the older that you get, to have that anticipation. And to do that, I think we need to know as much as possible about heaven. And so we're in this series, we're doing that, and today we're going to be looking at some facets of heaven that the Bible tells us to excite us, to encourage us, and to inform us about what heaven might be like. So we're going to look at five different descriptions of heaven to develop our trust in God, that He's preparing a place, and also to spark and expand our imagination of what heaven might be like, all right? So here's the first thing. Heaven, the Bible says, is a kingdom. Heaven is a kingdom. And you know that kind of conjures up our imagination, right? When kids are little, they play kings and queens and, uh, you know, uh, knights and maidens and damsels in distress, and, and they play king of the hill. And at the beach, you do what? You build sandcastles. The whole idea of a kingdom is an exciting thing to think about. You know, we live in the shadow of the castle over here, right? Just close. And we see people stopping all the time out front to take pictures of the backdrop of the castle behind them because it's intriguing. The whole idea of kingdoms and kings and such is kind of exciting for us. The Bible says that God is building a kingdom for His people. And you know what? It's not just today. It was promised a long time ago. In fact, the first promise of a kingdom we see in the Bible was promised to David, who, by the way, was, his own, was a king himself, right? The kingdom of Israel. David was king of that. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God said, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And we know who he was talking about. He wasn't talking about offspring in general. He was talking about Jesus, who was of and from the line of David, who came and established the kingdom of God. The church, I believe today, the church is what we see as the kingdom of God, but it's going to be a lot greater than that. And the picture of heaven that we envision is Jesus sitting on a throne. His kingdom is around him. He is on a throne ruling and reigning. And you know what? That actually is true because that exists in reality right now in heaven. It also exists in the hearts of believers. He is our king. He is on the throne of our lives. But one day, that reality will come to earth. When the new heaven and the new earth are created, things will be different. There will be a kingdom. There will not be any dictators, no presidents, no governors, no mayors, judges, 
no government officials, which could be great. There's no politics in heaven. Amen. Can we hear amen on that? Not <laughs> even applause on that. All right. There's none of that in heaven. There's just one king. There's a king, and that is Jesus. You know, in the book of Daniel, we think about Daniel. We think about that hero who was in the lion's den, and, you know, he, God protected him all night. But in the second part of the book of Daniel, a lot of prophecy, and some of that refers to heaven. Here's what it says. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Daniel looked and saw, and he saw one who was the son of man. Who's that? Jesus. And he approached the ancient of days. Who's that? God. And God gave him this kingdom, dominion, and authority that will never be destroyed. So in heaven, there's going to be one kingdom, not going to be a bunch of divided nations, not going to be all divided up all over the world. There's one ruler who is leading and serving. You know, today we hear every now and then about a one world government, don't we? We hear about that and we oppose that because we know that if it is human led, it is not going to be a good thing. We know what happens when humans try to get too much power. And we don't believe that there's any one person or even a group of people who ought to rule the world, right? And we know that there will never be world peace. There will never be harmony until Jesus comes back. But when he does, his kingdom will be established and it will be perfect and Jesus will reign. And you know what? We ought to long for that. We ought to envision that. We ought to long for that. We ought to pray for that. In fact, in the Lord's prayer that Jesus gave us a model prayer, he told us to anticipate and to pray for that kingdom to come. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there, heaven is a kingdom. Now in every kingdom, there is a king, right? But there's also, there's workers in the kingdom. There are people who are part of that, and we're going to be a part of that. I believe in the kingdom of heaven, there's going to be meaningful and enjoyable work. I believe that. In fact, later, later in, this ser- in this series, you know, one thing good about quarantine is you get to write a lot of sermons in advance. So, so I've got these sermons written, you know, kind of stacked up, which is a great place to be. But we're going to talk about what work might be like in heaven. And it's going to be a good thing. You know, you're not going to dread going to work. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But there will be meaningful and enjoyable work. You know, with this, we have to use our imagination, right? We definitely. Uh, but, but I want you to think of a perfect world and think of what would go on in a perfect world. About great discoveries, about new technology probably, about exploring our earth, exploring space, exploring the unknown. We're going to be learning, growing, expanding. Last week, if you didn't catch it, we dispelled the notion of us sitting on clouds wrapped up in a sheet with little wings playing a harp. That ain't happening, all right? That, that's boring. Next week, we're going to talk about is heaven going to be boring. That ain't going to happen. Heaven's going to be different. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to be learning and growing and expanding. I want you to think back about how it was. We said last week that when God established the Garden of Eden, it was like his, what he intended man to live in. It was heaven on earth. And we're going to kind of think back about how it was back then and what God intended for mankind. In heaven, the curse of sin is going to be lifted, and the things that we're going to do and the places we're going to go are going to be beyond our imagination. But we have to trust God and dream and imagine. And all of this will come about in the kingdom of heaven. So heaven is a kingdom. The second thing we see about heaven is that heaven is a city. 
Heaven is a city. The Bible talks about that. Whenever God created Adam and Eve, He told them, I want you to go. I want you to reproduce. I want you to multiply. And I want you to fill the earth and, and rule over the earth, have dominion over it. And so they did that, right? Even after their sin, they went on and they built towns and communities and cities and nations. And, and those cities, you know, obviously are composed of a lot of people, but heaven is going to be a city. In Hebrews 11, uh, chapter 11, read about some heroes of faith, about Abraham, and it says this about him, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He had hope of a city not made by human hands, but made by God. And then in Revelation chapter 21, John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. The city does not need the sun of the moon to shine on it, or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, the Bible says that this heavenly city is going to be amazing. Now, you know, most of us do not choose to live in a city. I, I don't even know that I would call Versailles a city. It's more of a town, I guess. But we do like to visit cities, right? Most of us have probably been to a city of some size at some point. Plus, somewhere like Chicago, New York City, Washington, D.C., Lexington, I guess you might throw into that. But we like to go in the city every now and then. Every now and then, Lori, used to, back in the day, we used to like to go see a movie, you know? You don't do that anymore, right? But, uh, but we like to go in. We like to go in for the dining, the entertainment, you know, the, the arts, sports, whatever it may be. But, you know, the city of heaven is not going to be a city like the ones we have in today. Most of us would say, we don't want to live in a big city. But it's not going to be like that. Not going to be traffic and crime and, you know, fear that we have about city. This city is going to be one that we love to belong to. A city that we just love to be a part of. All nations will live together in harmony. We hear an amen on that. Everybody is going to be living together as believers in Christ. Jesus will be the light. There won't be any darkness, no night in this city. And the gates will never be closed. Nobody with bad intentions are going to show up in this city and try to attack the citizens. Nobody enters there, only those who are citizens. You know, back in that day, uh, the, the ancient cities would oftentimes have a gatekeeper, someone would be posted there, who had a record of the citizens who lived there, and only the citizens would be allowed to enter there. Kind of like our gated communities of our day, I suppose. But there's going to be an, a list of people who live in this, in this city, Right? And, it, and it's not going to be St. Peter at the gate, unlike the jokes that we hear today. Uh, Peter's not going to be asking, why do you think I ought to let you into heaven? That, that ain't going to happen, right? Because there's only one book, and that book is the book of life. The Lamb's book of life. The only way you can enter this city is if your name is in the book of life. So heaven is a kingdom. Heaven, uh, the kingdom has a city. And thirdly, heaven is a home. Heaven is a home. You know, even though we've all been home more than normal probably lately, there's something special about home. And I can't think of a better place to be quarantined to than home. Can you imagine if you were quarantined but you couldn't go home? I mean, that would be even worse, right, than anything we've been through. So home is, is a very special place. It conjures up thoughts of belonging, of safety, acceptance, love, and peace. Here's what Jesus said in John 14. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You should find peace in knowing that Jesus, who has given his life for you, is now going and is preparing a place for us. Preparing a place for us. Now, that might seem a little bit weird in, in our experiences, but, but there have been times, like the early pioneers of our own country, where a man would leave his family behind, and he would go out, and he would find land and build a homestead, and then when everything was right and safe for the family, he would go back and get them, and he would take them to be with him. And it was a reunion of the family. It was the home that they were longing for. And, and that's kind of the picture that we have there of Jesus. Jesus is now preparing a perfect place for us. And so we need to be prepared whenever he returns for us. Can you imagine what it would be like if that father went out and uh, spent months, maybe years, preparing a home, and he got back, and the family goes, we don't want to go. <laughs> We're not going. We want to stay here. You know what? We need to have a heart that says, I'm going to be ready to go when Jesus calls me. And so to do that, we need to make our home here, his home, until his home becomes our home. Until we're called to heaven, we need to make sure that our home here is where Jesus reigns. You know, there's something about a house, about a home. Most of us live in pretty nice homes, actually, but they're nothing compared to heaven. Nothing compared to heaven. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So even though you might have a great home here, living here today is like living in a tent compared to heaven. Now, when, uh, when our kids were little, we used to like to camp. And it's pretty exciting to think about camping. You know, camping is, you know, great. It's exciting. But it gets old pretty quick, to be honest with you. Why? Because a tent wasn't made to live in permanently in most cases. You know, tents can be hot if it's hot outside. They can be cold if it's cold. They can be leaky, drafty, moldy, unsafe. And, and after a little while of camping, we just want to go home. One of the best things about camping is saying, I want to go home. You know, that's, that's neat. And I'll have to say there's more than one time that we were actually camping and we said, forget this stuff, we're going to a hotel. Because it's more like home, you know, with air conditioning and, and everything else, you know. That's kind of how it is here with the earthly body. Life is good here. It's exciting. We've got a lot going on. But it's like camping in a tent compared to heaven. Because heaven is going to be our home. Corey Asbury has a song that I really like. I uh, listen to it a lot on Caleb called The Father's House. And it says this, Prodigals come home, the helpless find hope. Love is on the move when the Father's in the room. Prison doors flung wide, the dead come to life. Love is on the move when the Father's in the room. Miracles take place. The cynical find faith, and love is breaking through when the Father's in the room. There is something comforting to us about knowing that God has a house for us, a home for us. And when you think about that, you think about a place, and you think about a people. That's what home is all about. So heaven is a place with God's people doing life in the Father's house. Isn't that exciting to think about that there's a home being prepared for you in heaven, and when this world is over, you're going to get to go there. Number four, heaven is a kingdom. Heaven has a, a city in the kingdom. There's a home in the city, and four, heaven is a garden. 
Heaven is a garden. The Bible describes it in that way. God created Adam and Eve, and he put them in a garden paradise, a beautiful place. Eden was somewhere between heaven and earth, and God was there. God was there. Adam and Eve were there. The angels were there. We know Satan even showed up there because he tempted Eve in the garden, and that's where she fell. But you know what? We were made to live in a garden. I think we were created for that, to be honest with you. I think that's why we enjoy parks. We enjoy botanical gardens. We enjoy zoos, going to the beach, going to the lake, the mountains, canyons, whatever it may be. Probably also why we enjoy, many of us, working in the yard, landscaping, gardening, farming, being out in nature, you know, canoeing, whatever it is. We like doing that because we were made for that. We were made for that type of environment. You know, it's interesting, the Greek word for garden is the word paradosius, which is interestingly where we get our, our word paradise, the word paradise. When Jesus was on the cross, he told the repentant thief next to him, he said, today you will be with me in paradise, the garden, the equivalent of heaven. And we get this amazing picture in Revelation chapter 2. It says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Do you remember in the garden that one of the trees that were there that they were to eat from was the tree of life? It's where Adam and Eve ate and sustained their life, their, at that point, their, their endless life before their sin. Well, heaven, the garden's going to be back, and the tree of life is going to be in heaven providing fruit and providing eternal life at this point. Listen to Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God, and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, so it was a big tree, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Do you hear the language there? A river of life that's flowing through the city. Constant fresh fruit giving life, healing for the nations, no curse of sin, no more darkness or night. Jesus is the light of heaven. We'll see his face. We will know him, and he will know us. That's going to be the garden paradise that heaven is like. So what do we learn? The heaven's a kingdom, has a city, has a house with a garden. And the last thing the Bible tells us about heaven specifically is heaven is a party. That heaven is a party. You know, the only party we had lately is a pity party, right? We've all had a pity party, how bad things are for us. We've not been partying much lately. We're missing that, but heaven's going to be a party. It really is. You know what Satan tells us? We said last week about that lie. He tells us that heaven's going to be boring and hell's going to be one big party. But remember, Satan is a liar and the father of liars. You can't believe anything he says, right? The Bible says hell's going to be a constant suffering and heaven is going to be a party. In Matthew chapter 22, it says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And we hear that analogy a lot about the wedding, right? You know, weddings in that day were not like weddings in our day. Weddings in our day are, you know, we plan for weeks, months, years, and then they have a big day and it's all over in 15, 20 minutes, right? All over but the cost. 
In that day, weddings were big time. They were multi-party, multi-day parties. They lasted a long time. And, and, and remember, this is where Jesus did his first miracle, right? The wedding in Canaan of Galilee. But they loved weddings in that day. And Jesus seemed to love them too. He would show up for weddings and parties and events and get-togethers. And, and the Bible says that heaven is going to be the greatest wedding ever. And, and the last wedding either uh, as well, as we're going to see later on. We're going to talk about being married in heaven a little bit later. In Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, it says this, And I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. I mean, do you not sense the excitement of what they're talking about, announcing this wedding and the purity of the bride that's coming. By the way, the analogy is the church is the bride of Christ, that Jesus is the groom, and there'll be a great wedding feast when we come together, and it'll be a party. You don't want to miss this party, this wedding, because it's going to be the party of all time, except the great party never ends. It never ends. And the greatest news of all this is that you're invited. You are invited. However, you must RSVP. You must respond. You must prepare in advance. And there's only one way to respond to this invitation of God, and that is to come to Jesus Christ and accept Him as your Lord and Savior. And there's where we see the great news. We know the good news that awaits us in the future, heaven. But the good news that we live in today is that Jesus died for our sins so that we can be forgiven and so that we can respond and have a place reserved for us in heaven. This great kingdom, this great city, this incredible house, this garden of paradise, and this party is waiting, but only for those who are in Christ. And what I've found is that everybody wants to go to heaven. Everybody thinks they're going to go to heaven, but the Bible says it isn't true, that only those who have washed themselves clean in the blood of Christ will be able to go in. Those are the only ones whose names are in the book of life, and no one will enter the city unless they're in that book. And we wait, and we long for that. And I believe that we ought to get excited about that. I think we ought to live in that. I think we ought to, it should steer our imaginations and our hearts. And we don't just think about the moment, but we think about eternity, and that guides and directs every decision in our life. And we live with that hope. You know, I did a memorial service the other day for a man who was 174 years old. Let that sink in, 174 years old. You say, I never heard of that guy. And there's a good reason for that. Because he actually died in 1883. <laughs> and he was the only police officer in Woodford County who's ever been killed in the line of duty. And that's, that's a great thing. It's a blessing. But the only guy, his name was George Freeman. And uh, he died at the age of 36 in a shootout. Uh, it's fascinating. A shootout with the cousins or brothers of his uh, the guy that was right before him. So there was some bad blood that went on and uh, they got drunk and they had a shootout with George and, and he got killed in, in, the, in the line of duty. But, but our local police officers and staff, 
they recently refurbished uh, the memorial there in Versailles Cemetery, and I was honored to be able to participate in the memorial service. Now, Officer Freeman died almost 140 years ago, and he is, his body is, is resting in the cemetery, but his spirit, his spirit was taken to eternity. I don't know anything about his life other than, than just these, these facts. But he and everybody else are waiting for the return of the Lord. And when that happens, it's going to be amazing. The cemeteries are going to burst wide open as bodies rise, resurrected bodies. The Bible tells us that. Those who are believers will go to meet the Lord in the air with the soul that's been in His keeping. And those who are believers, we'll talk more about the judgment a little bit later. But we're going to be with God, and we're going to be in this place we've been talking about. And now, guys, that motivates me more than anything that I know here is thinking about heaven. And I want to challenge you, wherever you are, to make sure that you have your reservations in and to know for certain that if you died today, if you died today, you would go to heaven. Because, not because of your goodness, but because of your commitment to Jesus Christ. And if you do not have that assurance, I would love to talk to you about that before you get away, or if you're online with us, please contact me, and we'll do that.